All right. Important question time. All right. I'm ready for it. Always. Listeners will know I'm a very fidgety person. I've probably talked about this before, but I like to find a mindless activity to do with my hands while we record so I can pay attention. And this time I've decided to uh, slowly pick away at my fingernail polish that is remaining and then paint my nails while we record. (laughs) Okay. So we have some options. Let me see. Like which finger to start with? Well, what color? So I know Uh. once I'm done picking... Uh, once I'm done picking at my nails, what color should I do? Mm. Some Foley work here. Some good sounds. All right, we've got like this dark green. It's a little Slytherin vibes. Okay. Uh, we got just black, you know, keep it goth, keep it classic. Uh-huh. And then I like a, a fun kind of electric blue. Ooh. What are we feeling? The blue. You like it's the blue? Vibrant. Let's do yeah. it. Let's do it. All right. Foley work is over. (laughs) What does this mean? Foley work? Oh, that means when you make noises. On purpose? It's like sound sound effects. Yeah. I think traditionally Foley work is when you're like trying to make the noises and they're fake, you know? Oh. You're like, time to walk away. I got you. (laughs) I was thinking like uh, how on, you know, you watch certain TikTok videos and it, it like like a recipe or something, but it's like hyper on the like sounds of them chop, oh. chop, chop, chop or sizzling or whatever. Like mm. that might be more ASMR. I guess so. But it's like, it's just, it's mainly a recipe, but I guess it's kind of, you know, likable to hear this. I don't know. I don't know either. Okay. I'm not good at it. Uh, <laughs> social media. So it's okay. I hate that. I am good at it. It's the worst. <laughs> Okay, what are you teaching me about while I do my nails? Uh, Today we're going to learn about the Chilean coup of 1973. Cool. I meant to reread that part in Open Veins, and then I uh, got distracted by the new Pokemon game, so I didn't. (laughs) So, fresh blank mind for you to fill. Sweet. Yeah, we gotta plug up those Swiss cheese holes. (laughs) Please, I'm dying. Yeah, so let's talk about the... Chilean coup. The short definition of this is that, well, we already said it happens in 1973. It was a U.S. backed, of course, uh, military coup against the democratically elected socialist government of Salvador Allende. Is it coup a coup if it's not U.S. backed? (laughs) It's like a tree falling in the forest. Exactly. (laughs) Uh. Uh, Yeah, we have like a thing about that. Uh, there was a whole section in open veins on it. We've talked about it a number of times. It's, it's just, it's one of those things. We love it. Okay. For, I don't know, maybe a new listener or something. Can you give us just a definition of a coup? Is it always like military necessarily? Uh, it's always like somewhat extra legal. Mm. I guess you don't have to do it with the military. Well, like with the military. Extra legal as in... Super legal, definitely okay to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, like required by law. No, like outside the legal process. But like, for example, you could do it with arms, but not be the military, right? Mm, So be some guys. You could be the Bolsheviks or something and overthrow it without being like the Imperial Army. If that makes sense. Uh, But usually, you have to do something. There are bloodless coups, I suppose, where the other side just gives up. But there's usually some sort of threat of force or you know that sort of a thing. 
You can do a self-coup, which is, I think, a funny idea. Wait, how do you do that? Well, like, let's say this. So Napoleon III did this at some point, um, and Napoleon himself did this. But it's like where you, um, you're in a position of power, but, like, it's not enough power, so you, like, coup yourself. <laughs> uh, you basically, like, threaten a part of the government, which is also you, and... <laughs> then like get them to change the form to be like an empire or whatever. And okay. Like, oh, hell yeah. Look at me. They call it a self coup. That sounds like something my therapist would accuse me of doing. Like you're really self-sabotaging with this <laughs> self coup. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, let's, this is not a self coup. This is a regular coup. Uh, and so let's, let's talk a little bit about this. So we said Salvador Allende, he's the guy who this happens to. So let's talk about him. Yeah. Was he cool? Uh, he was, Pretty cool, yeah. I mean, we didn't like him, so he's probably cool. We being the United States. Yes, yeah, we didn't have anything against him. Yeah, I thought he was cool. So, uh, Salvador Allende, born in 1908 in Chile, and grows up kind of in an upper middle class liberal family, uh, gets his first kind of radicalized experience as a high schooler. He has a a chess mentor slash anarchism mentor. Whoa. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Just get a little bit of all of that in there mixed in. <laughs> That's the new way to get him young. <laughs> I guess they played with no king, you know. <laughs> I'll be somebody's like Pokemon mentor slash anarchist mentor. <laughs> I'll there teach you, you all the type matchups or something. This guy was an Italian shoemaker named Juan de Marchi. Lots of talents. He can make you shoes. He can teach you chess. He can teach you anarchism. Very wise man. <laughs> yeah. And this is kind of his political mentor. Eventually, he Salvador Allende grows up, becomes a doctor uh, and a leader in the doctor's union there. He becomes, in 1933, the co-founder and chairman of the Socialist Party of Chile. I think, I mean, obviously all unions are important, but a doctor's union sounds really cool because, like, they're historically very overworked. Like, their schooling is super intense. Their hours are super intense. And then also they're forced to do a lot of shitty things via pharmaceutical companies. Like, it's, yeah, definitely is a place that could use some organizing. Yeah, and I feel like in America we have a a somewhat negative view, not of doctors per se, although I think it it bleeds over into that somewhat (laughs) because it's it's just the medical like field in general, you know, because it's just so fucked up. Yeah, it's a super fucked up field. And I feel like the most people I've met who work in that field are like, yeah, it's fucked up. Like no one's like, yeah, it's a good thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So he becomes co-founder and chairman of the Socialist Party. That's in 1933. He's elected to the Chamber of Deputies. This is the lower house of Chilean Congress uh, in 1937. That's a cool name. The Chamber of Deputies. Yeah. That's pretty, pretty cool. <laughs> Ours is just the House of Representatives. Yeah, that's that's really on the nose. You're really just yeah. saying what you're doing right in the tin. <laughs> right. You're not in a chamber. Deputy cool. sounds like oh, you're, you're taking the law into your own hands, <laughs> <laughs> which might be bad, but whatever. Yeah, we don't want them to. These are, yeah, most of them are <laughs> problematic. He ran a campaign, a presidential campaign by uh, for Pedro Aguirre Cerda who was a radical party politician. Uh, this was in uh, 1938. And so uh, in their country and in a lot of countries, for American listeners, this is a little foreign to us perhaps. In a lot of countries, when you're putting together a presidential or just a, a regular parliament election, you put together a coalition of parties. So uh, this was the popular front coalition of like all the leftist parties. 
were there a lot of leftist parties at the time or uh, we yeah with? there were a few so like you had the socialist party you also had the communist party nice. which was around before then um so they're like a little more radical you know uh, the radical party was like less radical than them. They had come from the liberal party and were like, you know, oh, we're we're radical, like we're a little more progressive than they, they are, you know. And so he runs Cerdas uh, campaign on the slogan bread, a roof and work. You know, I love a bread slogan. I love it when <laughs> when uh, Kropotkin <laughs> does it. Mm-hmm. I love the the earth and what's the the Mexican revolutionary Peace. one? Oh, um. That one's not bread, but it's also catchy. Tierra y... Land and freedom. Yeah. Tierra y libertad. And then peace, land, and bread, of course. My favorite. That's a good one, too. <laughs> Pro-carbs. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. I could do a little less work in the slogan, but I mean, if you you know want enough money to live and that's what you have to do, okay, you know, fine. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, he gets, you know, that campaign works. It's successful. The guy's elected president and salvador allende is named minister of health this is back in the 30s he's it's interesting because like his stuff doesn't happen really till 70s but he's like all he was already a well-known political figure yeah how young is he at this point oh uh, well he's he's like 30 at that point jesus okay yeah you're telling why me, aren't you minister of health yeah, is what i'm just saying like, yeah I should, I should be more on top of things sorry uh he does some reforms in that position he gets some worker safety laws passed uh some higher pensions for widows uh maternity care um and also a free lunches for schools program Ooh, very nice yeah so he does some things you know nibbling around the edges making life better for people i think it's impressive that even back then in the in what the 1930s he said Mm -hmm. like he's able to recognize that poverty and health are so intertwined and like you know clearly the best way to tackle that is by going through poverty yeah yeah and that's actually comes from his medical background and everything like he when he studied that uh the his professors and everything were focused on this like social sort of sociological or like public health sort of approach Mm, okay uh, he gets elected to the Chilean Senate in 1945 and does like some, it, it seems maybe like there are gaps in that or whatever, but he does a few different terms there. While he's there, he introduces a law that sets up Chile's National Health Service, uh, which makes them the first country in the Americas to guarantee universal health care. Damn, we're going to be the last for sure. <laughs> if we ever do, yeah. <laughs> if we ever do, As we will nation, be last. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, we'll probably be balkanized before that. Probably. yeah. (laughs) He becomes president of the Senate in 1966. And uh, during this time as a senator, he he runs for president repeatedly. Uh, In 1952, in 1958 and in 1964. So each time it's similar to the one that he ran is that he um, is running as the leader of the coalition of the left parties. Like his, like his buddy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. In 1952, he does pretty badly. He gets 5.4% of the vote. Whoops. Yeah. Uh, 1958, lots better, 28.5%. Wow, that's a big jump. Okay. <laughs> and then in 1964, he's really got together 38.93%. Okay, getting pretty close. Yeah. All that time, I kind of want to qualify, well, I guess starting in 1962, Uh, Our good buddies over in Langley, the CIA guys, uh, were running propaganda against him and funding his opponent. 
Cool, cool. How is that legal to like do? Well, that's, <laughs> that seems bad. That's why you do it through the CIA. It's not really. I guess right. they can do whatever they want. <laughs> yeah, you can just say you didn't do it when mm. when they catch you. You can just be a middle schooler about it and just say, nope, I, that wasn't me <laughs> that, that you just me. saw do that. <laughs> that is the that is kind of their preferred method. <laughs> So, yeah, about that, 1962-1964, that election, they gave $2.4 million to his opponent. And they also just spent $3 million themselves publishing anti-Yende propaganda. Uh, This is more money than Lyndon Johnson spent on his presidential campaign. Holy shit! That year. (laughs) Okay, so what was their fear? Were they like, this guy's too socialist, he's going to... I mean, let me guess. Let me guess. So Chile probably had some bad deals with like the World Bank and the IMF and all that shit. And if Allende was president, he'd probably fuck that up and therefore fuck up America's like trade. Uh, Yeah, pretty much. So they had they had like lucrative deals, you would say. Lucrative for one side only. Right. And we're talking <laughs> more with like American companies, but creditors and stuff, too. And Allende... We'll talk about like how he he wasn't super, super radical compared to his predecessors, really. He was already like slightly moving in that direction. He just wanted to push it more, you know, be more socialistic. That was what they were like, oh, shit, we're going to lose money, you know, if this guy's in. So, yeah, uh, in the in the 1970 election, which is the crucial one that he actually wins, they end up spending one million dollars. So I don't know if there's a budget cut or what, but they you know, <laughs> tighten. Somebody the found like their spreadsheet and was like, "Wait, this is how much we're spending." <laughs> <laughs> you guys, we were only supposed to spend a million. The Soviets, by the way, just to be fair and honest, uh, were also involved, and they were trying to help their friend Allende because he was in, an, you know, this Popular Front is in an alliance with the Communist Party. They were sending him. Uh, at most, the the highest estimate I saw for this was 400000 That's like nothing. Uh, annually, so <laughs> 1960, 1969. So I mean, maybe that piles up. But it's not like, yeah, it's not the CIA millions of dollars here. Yeah, yeah, come on. that's That seems excessive. Yeah. He's, he's running in all these elections and losing repeatedly. Uh, but in 1970, he runs again. He's the leader of the Unidad Popular Coalition, the Popular Unity Coalition. It's a cool name. So he's got, this coalition has the Socialist Party. That's who he's from. You know, he's the co-founder. The Communist Party, the Radical Party. You have the Social Democrat Party. So they're like less socialist, I guess, than the mm-hmm. Socialist Party. You have the Independent Popular Action Party. Oh, what are they about? Uh, these guys, uh, they were left-wing independents, uh, considered less revolutionary than the than the main kind of group they were a little more moderate okay uh and the popular unitary action movement uh these guys were a small leftist political party they were it looks to me like they're kind of democratic socialists marxists so like fairly left interesting that's an interesting combo and great name would wear it as a shirt for sure popular popular. it's kind of good yeah so that's the coalition. And on September 4th, 1970, he narrowly pulls out the election, narrowly wins, despite the CIA campaigning against him. Uh, yeah. The breakdown is 36% for him. 
he's running against a rich independent dude who was a former president um, and a former president's son, a guy named Jorge Alessandri. Mm, okay. Kind of a conservative dude. Wait, he used to be president and his dad used to be president? Yeah. This is like a Madison situation uh-huh. or whatever? Yeah. Or Adams? I don't know. One of those guys. Adams. Yeah, Madison didn't. Clearly, uh, I know a lot about presidents. The placemat did not serve me well. <laughs> you hogged it all the time. I was stuck with either Countries of the World or Spider-Man. Yeah. you. <laughs> I mean, I think Spider-Man was a good choice, too, though. <laughs> I mean, he was cool. <laughs> so, yeah, that guy, little father-son duo there. And he was also, so it's a three-way race. Allende's 36%, Alessandri's 34%. Third place guy was a Christian Democrat, Radomiro Tomic. Kind of, you know, the cons- the more conservative sides kind of split a little bit. So Allende wins, but it's not a majority. And it's required to be a majority to take office. So if it doesn't, if you don't get a majority, it goes to the Senate. And the Senate decides. What do they say? Well, before they get to say, there's a little bit of time period while they have to decide, you know? And so uh, here the CIA steps in again. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. They're like, we're going to try to, like, fix this to where Allende is not the choice. Uh, Nixon authorizes $10 million. Of course he does. uh, To try to stop Allende from taking office. Or if that fails, that's track one, which is referred to as parliamentary trickery. (laughs) (laughs) trickery wow they they said it out loud uh and then track that's 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 what you want to happen but plan b track two is a military coup to stop him from taking office the goal still here is to stop him from even being president either one of those tracks like for like a day even yeah (laughs) um track one the plan is to convince uh the outgoing president who was term limited that's the reason he wasn't in the election he was pretty popular a guy named eduardo frey he was like a he was a Christian Democrat, but he was like a moderate sort of reformer. He was a capitalist, but he was still doing kind of like social welfare stuff. And a lot of the reforms that we see Allende do, he's just taking a step further than this guy. This guy was pretty progressive for a thoroughly capitalist dude. Uh, but anyway, the plan was to get Frey to get his party to back Alessandri for this in the Senate. So choose this guy. On the promise that Alessandri would then resign, trigger a new election. Oh my God. Where Frey could run again because it was non consecutive. <laughs> That's insane. That's a musical chairs bullshit. That's the best idea the CIA had. That was their plan A. <laughs> wow. Hey, do we have that rule? We I know we have like obviously the two term limit, but do we have it where you can do a switcheroo and come back? Well, yeah, but not like two term like two terms is max. Oh, two terms max. Okay, so it's not a consecutive rule. It's just two terms. There's no consecutive rule. Two terms. That's it. The most you could do is if you're vice president, and I forget where it cuts off. There's some cutoff point where if it's more than that, then it basically counts as a term. There's something around the line. So you could sneak your way out of it if you got your guy assassinated. Yeah, if if you got assassinated at the right moment, you could kind of max out the time that you would be in. So maybe like. 10 years or something you know kamala harris taking notes <laughs> oh i see you gotta okay oh, I got, okay I can, okay i can make this work i think we can do something about that i can't do a kamala harris for <laughs> is you. that her voice i don't know i think she like kind of like vaguely she has like a scratchy voice oh okay i think she does but maybe i it's been a while i i avoid you don't, you don't that, listen like, to plague. her 
often I, I don't either i just thought that was me <laughs> I don't well, most americans tuned in every day i'm not part of the k-hive <laughs> all right that was plan a that did not work the senate was like no uh <laughs> we're not doing that the senate instead chooses allende but because they're kind of like there's a lot of anti-communist sentiment there they're very suspicious of him and 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 his coalition they make him sign a statute of constitutional guarantees. I don't like this already. Which just, I mean, it's just a promise that he's going to follow the Chilean constitution. Boring. And he was like, I, yeah, I, I'm, you know, I'm running for president. And I kind of wanted to do that. But <laughs> yes, I will do that. If it makes you feel better. I mean, I'm going to assume their constitution is marginally better than ours because ours is like super fucking old and has never been updated but yeah i don't okay. think there's like explicit you know from day one was like slavery it's guaranteed mm-hmm. you know for example mm-hmm. <laughs> or says <laughs> you, can, you can't do slavery now but you can if it's for a punishment for a crime <laughs> just a couple uh, of constitutional um, criticisms just uh, a few <laughs> a few suggestions you know Things to think about. Areas of opportunity for growth. Pages to burn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, they make him do that. But other than that, they say they say Allende is going to be the guy making him the first Marxist elected president in a bourgeois democracy in Latin America. Oh, okay. I thought you were going to be like ever. But okay, that's still cool. (laughs) So like this guy was openly Marxist Leninist. Uh, He was openly Marxist. I don't know if he was. He's a socialist. And he's running in elections. I mean, I wouldn't really put him as like a, he's not like a, a Marxist Leninist in the sense of like. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess so. Trying to take power that way. But openly Marxist, pretty big deal. Uh, so he gets into power. Great. Let's talk about his policies. What's he do? Uh, Allende called his policies the Chilean way to socialism. I like this way. I would like to get on that way. <laughs> Uh, one of, again, I mentioned it before, but like a lot of his policies are still like they're kind of continuations or amplifications of earlier administration's policies. It's 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 all like he signed that constitutional thing. And I in, I think in a lot of ways he meant it like it's all legally done. It's all within the system. And he still gets cooed at the end of the day. Yeah, that's that's an important point of like this wasn't coming out of nowhere. It's not like you had some like super conservative asshole right before him. And he's like, I'm going to reverse all their shit like. This was a natural progression. Yeah, yeah. So I broke it down into categories, and it's just really the highlights of it. Economics, uh, he increased salaries and wages. So for blue-collar workers, this is around 40%. For white-collar workers, it's a lot less. It's like 9%. But, like, that's a lot for <laughs> for blue-collar. Holy crap. Yeah. Uh, he reduced taxes and rents and increased pensions and Social Security payments. Uh, they also legally recognized the Central Labor Confederation, which was a big union whose membership mm. grew to one million workers. Ugh, sounds lovely. They also had workers' assemblies formed in like socially owned businesses or like think of it like a state owned business. Workers' assemblies would elect half of the management council for those. Nice. So kind of like a little Soviet situation? Uh, yeah, in a way, or, or think about it as maybe a more advanced version of in Europe, how a lot of companies are required to like have a certain amount of workers representatives on their board uh, it reminds me of our conversation around co-ops you know yeah yeah uh he also guaranteed employment uh via either public works or state-owned businesses yay i guess well yeah <laughs> <laughs> 
I know, I know. It, it's good. Just jobs are boring. No one actually likes them. That's true. That's why they have to pay you to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- these these reforms were very fruitful in the first year. Uh, you're looking at 12% industrial growth, uh, 8.6% GDP growth. Uh, you have a decline in inflation, a decline in unemployment down to 3.8%. So pretty good. And... To kind of circle back to our open vein stuff, like you have to remember, they're coming from a very economically disadvantaged situation, too. So, like, it's huge to be able to provide these social services for their people. Yeah. And we'll get to kind of more of the agricultural side, which is where a lot of that stuntedness comes from. They do, the economy does turn downward pretty soon thereafter. Uh, there's a lot of inflation. Um, it's really made a lot worse by copper prices, which is their like their main oh, export. Yeah. The U.S. also fucks with them. They back up these strikes, um, like small business owner strikes, basically, uh, to target them and to try to cripple things. So that ends up tanking eventually. Okay. But it starts out pretty well. Yeah. They were also putting together this really, this really cool project called Project CyberSyn. Um, that sounds amazing. What is this? What is this new edition of the Matrix series that I'm about to watch? Well, it's uh, it's it, you're right. It is very futuristic. Um, it was this program from 1971 to 1973, which was designed as a decision support system, which would help manage the economy with like computers, uh, an economic simulator, a computer that would monitor like factory performance around the country. Uh, they had like a national network of telex machines, like a phone fax machine sort of thing. All those would be linked to this central mainframe computer. And they had like this, this cool ass Star Trek looking operations room. I'm going to send you a link to it. Please do. Um, is this real? I'm looking at a photo now, listeners. It literally looks like Star Trek. Like, <laughs> yeah, Google it, Google project Cybersyn operations room. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it's it's dope. And they, they built that and they had it like in advanced prototype stage by 1973. It was designed by British cyberneticist Stafford Beer. Basically, the goal was to make it easier to manage the economy. They were trying to get it to where you could have everything very decentralized in a way because you're gathering data from all these different factories and then coordinating that. Uh, it reminds me of like our... D&D campaign of 01001, the <laughs> robotic planet. That's where I'm from. <laughs> where, like, <laughs> they do, like, this mass coordination of the economy and, like, they have, like, this organics colony that's, like, they kind of do their own thing, but they get, like, advice from the central programming, you know, and they're like, hey, what if you guys do some of these things? It would be helpful. Like, that's kind of what they're going for is devolving decision-making power to the workforce like kind of letting them kind of self-regulate based on the overall economic trends. I mean, to me, I think of the dispossessed. Like they had a very complicated computer system where it would be like, here's like your work assignments, but they weren't like assignment assignments. It was like, here's where we need help. And you could be like, yes or no. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm thinking they were going for. They don't get to actually put this into full nationwide, 100% scale uh, implementation. They actually could use it to kind of consult on things and they kind of use it to help them coordinate like getting supplies to places when the strike starts crippling things it doesn't they don't make it to the point where they where they actually get to use it 100 percent. 
Bummer. It's really like, I think that's a great idea. Like we've had conversations before about how it's extremely hard to run like a planned economy. And I think it's super smart. They were investing in it like that early. Yeah. Unfortunately, it was destroyed in the coup. Oh, fuck. Yeah. RIP Star Trek room. <laughs> you were very cool. Uh, some more initiatives in healthcare, education, and housing. Uh, they sent 55,000 volunteers to the south of the country to teach literacy, uh, to provide medical attention to underserved people. Uh, they built lots of hospitals, maternity clinics, and neighborhood health centers, specifically that had longer hours for working people. They increased enrollment in kindergarten, in primary, secondary, and post-secondary schools. Uh, they also did a free milk for schools program, uh, free milk for expecting and nursing mothers and kids aged 6 to 15. They lowered the proportion of malnourished children under 6 by 17%. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, they also offered scholarships, 3,000 scholarships to indigenous Mapuche children. Uh, to integrate them kind of into the education system where before they had been excluded from that. They also liberalized the universities, which involved like basically giving more autonomy from the government, doing free tuition. Just like across the board? Yeah, yeah, free tuition. I, they may have had to Holy pay fees shit. and stuff, but free tuition, yeah. Um, yes, please. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah, this is one of those that's definitely a process that was started before. Like, they started liberalizing the universities and stuff um, and trying to open them up more, like, two presidential administrations back. So, yeah, that Alessandri guy, former president, like, he had done he had done some of that. <laughs> Even he was like, well, now, guys, we need to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not, like, some crazy radical thing. Uh, they also built uh, 120,000 new residential buildings for, for housing. In the arts, I thought you might be interested in some of this. I am. <laughs> uh, they put on state-sponsored music festivals. Fuck yeah, ACL, but <laughs> the sea is Chile. <laughs> yeah, um, they also put on you know state-sponsored tours of folk musicians and the like. Oh, fun. Uh, the state published cheap copies of literary works for the masses. I love that. Uh, and you also had volunteer like theater troops, kind of, called the Allendistas. <gasps> Okay, that's me. I'm going. <laughs> you would travel. <laughs> I'm hitting the road. Yeah, you would travel the countryside and slums um, and put on plays and shows for people. Absolutely. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't find anything like, you know, examples of like what these were like if they were, you know, g good. I don't know or, or whatever, but I'm sure they were fun. Shitty. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, women's rights. In 1971, they set up the Women's Secretariat. Uh, what is that? Uh, so, like, you know, the women's department. All right, not the horse. No, no, no. Um, the secretary is just like, you know, the secretary of state, secretary of whatever. Also, secretary is a real word and not just the horse. Yes, Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they also set up public laundromats. Public. This is through the women's secretariat, which was working to set up public laundromats, public food programs, daycares, and women's health care clinics. Hell yeah, because they have more of that domestic labor going on. If you can free them of some of that, that's huge. Exactly. They also extended maternity leave uh, from six weeks to 12 weeks. That's still short, but okay. And I was going to say, I don't know if that's long or short. <laughs> it's not much. But that's not much. Okay. It's 12 weeks more than the United States has. It's Yeah, it's more than that. That's <laughs> <laughs> for fucking sure. I was like, at least they have that. <laughs> uh, one big point of contention was with land reform 
Oh, no. That's usually my favorite one. Oh, I mean, it was cool. It was, again, a process that had started two presidents ago. (laughs) So, again, not that crazy. Yeah, but again, it does take it a lot further. So, before the 60s, see our Open Veins episode. Terrible, unfair. You have the Latifundia and the Minifundia system. Mm -hmm. For the class, that just means, like... Your lands are all owned by a couple of landowners and they let like people work on their land and they let them like lease out a very small portion in their spare time, which they don't have. Yeah. At night. (laughs) Yeah. Basically. (laughs) Here's a flashlight and a hoe. Good luck. Yeah. It's really exploitative, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The Latifundia being the large farm work all day. Minifundia being your scrap of land work all night. That's what they had. 1962, that former president, Alessandri, uh, allows distribution of state-owned lands uh, to campesinos, peasants. It's a pretty small scale, but it's something. 1967, that other former president, Frey, uh, gave legal status to campesinos unions. Uh, Under these two laws, around 1,400 agricultural properties totaling 3.5 million hectares are expropriated. This is around a quarter of those that could have been targeted under those two laws. All right, so it could have been more. Yeah. More than 400 unions were organized, totaling more than 100,000 campesinos. Uh, you also start to see strikes and land seizures as uh, as the peasants' unions start to fight for their rights. Cool. So this is like a tenants' union almost. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or like a farmers' union. It's kind like of a combination. A farmers, farmers, peasants is kind of the easiest translation of it, of campesinos. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that sort of a union. That's cool as hell. Yeah, so 1970 rolls around, Allende, his government starts amping it up. So they start more land expropriations. They're going after all holdings of more than what they called 80 basic irrigated hectares. Hey, what's a hectare again? I know, I should know this by now. Googling it, I don't know either. (laughs) I should leave that in. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. (laughs) I'm picturing like just a hexagon shape, like acre. No, a metric unit of square measure equal to 100 Aries, which is 2.471 acres or 10,000 square meters. Oh, well, that doesn't help either. I don't know meters. How many miles are we talking? 0.405 hectares and one hectare contains about 2.47 acres. Mm. Okay. Mm -mm. Okay. I don't know. It's big, guys. It's big. All right. It's 0.003 square miles okay so not square feet square feet let's do square feet feet. do you know anything about square feet i have bought a house so yeah all right one hectare one hundred and seven thousand square feet okay that'd be a big ass house (laughs) this is like a mansion (laughs) yeah that's a huge house but okay so you get 80 of them anyway this is why the metric unit system is better (laughs) 80 hectares is a third of a square mile 80 hectares is a third of a square mile that's still, I mean, I just, I'm very, not good at spatial stuff. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, 956,000 square yards. No, just okay. give up. <laughs> Can't do it. My brain won't, it won't do it. Oh, what if we do this? Hectares to football fields. Okay, I could probably do that, being an East Texan and all. One football field is roughly an acre. One hectare equals 2.47 acres. So 2.47 football fields. Okay, now I can picture it. Okay. That's Almost one three football hectare. fields. Listeners, if you're ever wondering. So 160 <laughs> football fields, that's the max you can do. That's the max they could expropriate. 
Well, that's you could have that. They'd expropriate the rest. Oh, okay, okay. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So they end up expropriating around 4,400 properties, totaling more than 6.4 million hectares, which was around 59% of Chile's agricultural lands. I think that's like double the previous guys. Uh, so that's a lot. Yeah, they went after it. Yeah. Again, I would say they're continuing a trend. It's like people obviously wanted that from, <laughs> you know, the other party even. You know, maybe they were like, oh, it took too far, but... Whatever. That's really, yeah. It's it's a continuation. <laughs> Everyone was doing it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it was still like, you can still have... 160, 160 or 160 football fields. Like, That's a lot of football fields. <laughs> <laughs> and these were popular, too, because, like, these guys were all running for re-election. Like, they, it wasn't a problem when they did it. I mean, I'm sure, like, the United States didn't love it. But still. Yeah, I think that they thought, hey, we got to do something, right? We don't, we want to appease people so we don't get overthrown or something like that, you know? Uh, the next thing that was, that gets him into trouble, but is still cool, is nationalizations. Oh, okay. I like these. Do you nationalize some oil? No, in, in Chile's case, it was copper mines. Mm, yeah, yeah, that would piss some people off. Yeah, foreign-owned copper mines. Um, again, this is also an old policy. Uh, back in the 50s, even, uh, Chile started buying shares of American-owned copper mines, like to basically take it over that way. Um, in 1969, President Frey signed an agreement with the copper companies where they bought 51% of the shares uh, and then could buy the rest of it over time. This is called negotiated nationalization. So it's not all at once. Yeah, over the next 13 years, they would buy the rest of it. But to do so, they would have to... So they borrowed the money to buy it, so they would have to pay back at least 60% of that. The agreement kind of set like a formula for like how much it was worth and all that. So um, it's... Leftists really criticized this saying it was like, too nice to the copper companies it was really like just giving in rolling over to the imperialist overlords and you know this is going to cost too much this is going to take too long that sort of thing but they already were doing this you know this process was already underway when allende is there july 1971 uh, he gets congress to pass a constitutional amendment uh, allowing the nationalization of all copper mines present and future Oh, he's like, I'm not waiting anymore. Let's just do it. Yeah, it passes unanimously. <laughs> okay, guys, if something passes unanimously, like, just leave it alone. <laughs> yeah, what do they pass unanimously? Do they even pass, like, oh, we're going to name this post office after somebody? Do they Probably even pass not. those unanimously anymore? Probably not. Yeah, I'm thinking, like, what could it be? Like, I, I can't think of what it would be. <laughs> The, I mean, maybe like an anti-communist bill or something. If but, like <laughs> someone cool died, maybe they'll be like, well, let's, yeah, name a statue after him or, you know, name something yeah. after him. Yeah, they'll probably all unanimously pass something like praising Henry Kissinger when he finally Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it passes unanimously. It becomes a law a few days later. And the rub for this law comes down to compensation. Because you've got to compensate the companies for expropriating them. Those poor copper mine owners. What are they going to do? Yeah. I mean, not like they have any skills like mining copper. Because they always have to get people to do that for them. <laughs> it's not like they have any foreign holdings and like <laughs> other things going on. This is all they have. Yeah. It's really sad if you think about it. Well, Allende kind of agreed with you. And so 
his administration tallied up the excessive profits that the mine owners had made uh, when when deciding how much to pay them and kind of weighed that against the value of their company. So what you would do is you would take how much the copper profits were in Chile, compare it with companies' profits elsewhere in the world and basically say, hey, you guys have been hyper-exploiting us. We're going to get you back for that. We're going to fine you for that, Mm, basically, and make you pay back that extra money. So when they tally it up, the copper companies end up straight up not getting paid for like three (gasps) of the mines and get like, you know, a little bit of pittance for the rest of them. I love it. I love it. And it's just like, you guys have been ripping us off. What do you expect? Boom. Can you imagine being able to do that to like your landlord or something? <laughs> just like, <laughs> hey, hey, I looked up the shit. rent in other cities. Like, you've been ripping me off. <laughs> this is actually bullshit. I'm not going to pay you. In fact, you're going to pay me. Yeah. <laughs> your rent is now $200. <laughs> so, yeah, that's what they did. Uh, that's so badass. Well, yeah, the Americans did not think so, <laughs> obviously. And yeah, that, that they cut off economic aid to Chile altogether. Of course, of course. Which, you know, you got to imagine they were already putting in the book somewhere because <laughs> they had funded against this guy. Like. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that kind of gets us into our foreign policy section. Chile had had a pretty good relationship uh, with the Soviet Union before. The previous president, Frey, had signed Chile's first cultural and scientific agreement with them in 1970. Kind of on his way out of office, I guess. That was his last year. Allende, when he nationalizes the copper mines, that really obviously turns the U.S. against them, (laughs) pushing them closer to the Soviet Union. I would assume so, yeah. So they end up investing quite a bit of money in Chile, um, providing them with, like, investing $400 million in them, uh, just country-wise. Also giving them, like, around $100 million in credits, uh, like, here, you like a gift card, you know, you can buy Soviet equipment and stuff. These are Soviet dollars. Yeah. <laughs> Soviet bucks. <laughs> yeah. Uh, they also supplied them just with some straight up supplies like fishing ships, uh, factories, lots of tractors, um, and foodstuffs like wheat and condensed milk. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that's really important because they didn't have access to those things, especially if the United States is cutting off aid, because oftentimes in these exploited countries, they're not allowed to develop their own manufacturing. Like they were in that kind of situation, I assume. Yes. Yeah. And with the latifundia system, like they had not most of, you know, a lot of their agriculture wasn't self-sufficient. It was for export. Mm-hmm. Overall, the numbers that I, so I wasn't able to find exact numbers, but the descriptions uh, painted this as like not a ton. So not like overwhelming aid. It would seem to be less than what they got from China and socialist countries in Eastern Europe. But, you know, it looked like a sizable amount, at least to me. Yeah. I mean, that's a chunk. <laughs> or it's something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they're appreciative. Foreign relations wise. Also, uh, Fidel Castro uh, took a visit to Chile in 1971. It was a, you know, one of those official state visits or whatever. It was pretty long, though. He stays in the country for 23 days. That is long. Uh, traveling all over, up and down the country. Uh, he talks to Allende, obviously. Um, he, but he also talks to just like everyday people, students and workers and whatnot. Uh, he was clearly very popular. He's a little controversial, though, because he like criticizes <laughs> elements of, of like the society. It's like, oh, these landowners are being greedy, you know, and mm, yeah. the media are biased against the project that you're trying to do here. And, you know, the conservatives got mad about that. 
Well, whatever. Um, <laughs> They're probably already mad about other things. Yeah, yeah, but they kind of use it to kind of say, "Look, Allende, he's in, he's in with these Cubans. Mm, okay. He wants to. He really wants to be a Marxist-Leninist, yeah. you know, and he wants to make us like." And obviously, the way they would say it, like this horrible, terrible, awful, complete totalitarian dictatorship <laughs> like cuba you know just soviet puppets and yeah you know, yeah yeah that sort of thing but let's focus in a little more on the united states and chile mm, what do we do <laughs> lots okay we do lots <laughs> uh like we mentioned they're lurking in the shadows the whole time even before <laughs> and was elected yep once he's elected but before he takes office remember they're trying to fuck him over in the parliament trickery <laughs> they actually yeah they give the cia headquarters in chile there they give them like this is literal declassified documents instructions to them they say <clears throat> it is firm and continuing policy that allende be overthrown by a coup it would be much preferable to have this transpire prior to 24 october but efforts in this regard will continue vigorously beyond this date we are cool. to continue to generate maximum pressure toward this end utilizing every appropriate resource it is imperative that these actions be implemented clandestinely and securely <laughs> so that USG, the U.S. government, and American hand be well hidden. Wow. Wow. Cool. Cool email. <laughs> <laughs> Best, the CIA. Yeah. <laughs> I think there would be more of a regards. You don't know? You think they're a regards Best? kind of guy? Yeah. Yeah. Best is too warm. Yeah, at this time, they're like blue blood New Englanders, you know, <laughs> Yale types. I don't know. Mm, yeah, regards is good. Anyway, literal CIA uh, memo. <laughs> Can you coo before this date? If not, that is okay. Keep cooing. Yeah, I, I really like how these guys like put this stuff out there. Well, you know, they weren't really putting it out there, but like it's been declassified since because a lot of people are dead. Uh, here's another good primary source. Uh, notes from the CIA director, Richard Helms, uh, from his meeting with Richard Nixon on September 15th, 1970, again, before Allende's in office, but after he's been elected. Here are the notes. <clears throat> One in 10 chance, perhaps, but save Chile. Worth spending. Not concerned. No involvement of embassy. $10 million available. More if necessary. Full-time job. Best men we have. Game plan. Make the economy scream. 48 hours for plan of action. Oh my God. <laughs> Those are psychopathic notes. <laughs> you don't get wow. to be CIA director for nothing. Yeah, make, what is it? Make the economy scream? Mm hmm. Oh God. Yeah, so whenever I look at, you know, oh, the economy all of a sudden starts doing bad and copper prices all of a sudden tank and all this stuff, it's like, okay, well, how did that happen? Yeah, mystery of <laughs> mysteries. <laughs> yeah. Wow. They also remember trying to do the track two plan once they, once the Senate chooses him. Uh, they're, they're still trying to get him cooed before he takes office. Uh, this results in the murder of a general in Chile, General Rene Schneider. Uh, he was commander in chief of the army uh, under the previous president, President Frey, I guess who at that point was still president. Uh, and when Allende is elected, there's already some talk among the military about preventing him from taking office by launching a coup, like what the CIA wants. But Schneider was a constitutionalist. He thought this would be really bad. He thought that the military should not be involved in politics at all. 
in 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 the country like that was his belief there's even a like he was so outspoken about this that there was something called the schneider doc- doctrine which was s- said that basically and so the cia was like this guy you know he needs to be made to see things our way they they put together a plot to kidnap him so that a coup could take place cool great love that typical stupid cia plan so they give some sterile weapons i guess like no prints or serial numbers or something mm, okay gotcha. untraceable i guess uh to a group of chilean officers uh basically to go kidnap him and blame it on allende supporters cool cool thing you're doing yeah uh they fail a couple times like he's not home and stuff like that <laughs> Uh, and so the CIA ends up paying the officers in charge of that little operation, 50,000 more dollars and tells them, you know, try again. (laughs) Oh my God. So a little Keystone cops situation. Yeah. Like this guy's (laughs) fucking Uber eats would have already gotten there and these guys can't find him. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they fail again, but more fatally this time, this is actually a different group of guys than the ones before, but still CIA connected like they had had prior contact with the cia beforehand kind of like how just you know presidential assassins and stuff like that or people who do weird shit like end up having had been in contact or on a watch list or something before and you're just weird yeah kind of like that anyway it's october 22nd 1970 they try to kidnap schneider but he pulls a gun on them and then (gasps) they just shoot him dead oh fuck okay so it goes from kidnapping to assassination the CIA later goes on to pay these guys $35,000 basically to buy their secrecy. I mean, I kind of assumed when they said this guy needs to see our way of things that there maybe was a wink in there that didn't get recorded in the notes. <laughs> it could have <laughs> like, been. We need to make this guy see reason. <laughs> yeah, if if so, it backfired. From what I understand, they were really trying to kidnap him, get him out of the way so a coup could happen and then just exile him is what I think. Because the backfire is that the assassination, everybody's pretty horrified by this, and people don't want to do a coup for a while. Like, they're just like, ooh. Yeah, no shit. That was, uh, was kind of shitty stuff. <laughs> that was nasty. Yeah. He's replaced by another constitutionalist general, General Carlos Prats. Uh, obviously, Nixon, though, continues his fuckery. Uh, try, try again, man. Yeah, yeah. Once Allende takes office, uh, dear friend of the show, Henry Kissinger... Oh, good. Puts together a memo, November 25th, 1970. This is not even a month into Allende's term. And he outlines the U.S. Covert Action Program in Chile. Hey, I think you misset his name. I think it's pronounced Pissinger. Kissinger? Yeah, with a P, like piss. Oh. (laughs) I heard his name. I was like, wait, what did I say? (laughs) I'm making a bad joke. Yeah, he's still alive. I don't know why he's still alive. He definitely did some satanic ritual. Oh, I don't want to put that on my guy, Satan. (laughs) I don't know. He's doing some dark rituals. (laughs) Something bad. So the covert action program uh, was to develop contacts in the Chilean military, uh, divide Allende supporters, covertly fund anti-Allende media outlets and parties and unions, publish anti-Allende propaganda, saying basically that trying to make the case that he wants to make Chile subservient to like Cuba and the Soviet Union. This is really just a way for him to test out his new novels. Like he just wants to run a printing press. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was dabbling in graphic design and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
the CIA also used the ITT Corporation. What's that? Uh, which was like a, a, a telephone company. And they owned 70% of Chitelco, which was like the Chilean telephone company. Oh, okay. And, and Chitelco was like a, a funder of a newspaper called El Mercurio. Uh, and they, they, they used that, the newspaper and everything, and Chitelco to, to like launder money, basically, that went <gasps> to Allende's opponents. Okay, wow. I didn't see that coming. I was going to guess like phone tapping or something, but okay. No, I mean, that's... I didn't read about that, but <laughs> it's a phone <laughs> I wouldn't company. wouldn't be surprised, yeah. yeah. But no, they were basically just funneling money through that. Uh, this included $2 million of CIA funding. Remember, they've got a $10 million pot of money to go through. $2 million funding a strike that go- goes on in October of 1972. A strike of hardworking trucking company owners. Mm, how is that even a strike? <laughs> well, they don't they, do any work. They got 165 trucking company business associations employing 40,000 drivers to strike. So they just like, you know, <sighs> it's a capital strike. They just like knocked out their work. You guys aren't, don't get to work today. You're out of a job while I'm striking. Yeah, that sucks because I'm usually for striking, but this one don't like it. Yeah, because it's not. This is not a worker strike for better wages or working conditions. You know, this is like the rebellion of the jet ski dealership owners or small <laughs> exactly. business tyrants. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, what were their demands? Uh, it was indefinite. Mm. They they just okay. said we're going on strike. We want like we want Allende to resign. Are you kidding? That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> It was led by Leon Villarín, who was a leader of the fascist CIA-funded paramilitary group Patria Libertad. Wow, like none of those words got better as you kept reading the name (laughs) in the description. It's like, oh, oh, oh. Yep. Those are the types of guys who were leading this, just to be clear. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you, you find yourself, for some reason arguing that the cia does some good in the world i'm not again super sure how you got here but if for some reason you're like well maybe i watched a show where they did some good stuff Uh, they're backing literal fascists yeah evil (laughs) evil not every single person maybe but evil as an organization yeah not a good one these sorts of stuff are going on you have overall, this strike corresponds with like overall economic woes, a, a general deterioration uh, in the country. Yeah. Like we mentioned, brought about by the pretty convenient fall in the price of Chile's chief export copper uh, and also, you know, inflation. Okay. Uh, so uh, did we do that? Did we cause the price cut? <laughs> I wasn't reading anything that that said that explicitly or even like i don't know but it seems to me that if you're planning to make the economy scream and you've got the the preponderant position in the uh world trade organization in 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 the organization of american states in the world Mm -hmm. bank and imf like you got the world by the balls like you can you can do a lot you did say you wanted to do that yeah (laughs) that's pretty damning and you're like launching you're funding a fascist led strike to paralyze the economy you know yeah yeah global trade aside you're stopping their basic infrastructure from working directly 
the strike is joined by small business people, by a few white collar unions and a few conservative student groups. Ugh. It wrecks the economy. And this splits the congressional coalition. No. Where you had the popular unity left coalition kind of working with the Christian Democratic Party because, again, they were most, mostly just doing their stuff but juiced up, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. They kind of agreed on a lot of the stuff. Same page. Sort. Yeah. Yeah. But by this point, they instead go and ally with the right-wing opposition, the National Party. Oh, no. So they form the Confederation of Democracy Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. Acronym. <laughs> cool name. In Spanish is code. Code. Uh, Ooh. Even sounds ominous. Code for what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, Congress basically at this point is ground to a halt. Because uh, uh. they're not no longer going to let Allende do anything. This is, I mean, just as the government really needs to, like, start putting, it, you know, everything back together again. Yeah. Uh, now they can't. It's at this point that there's a side event that sounds really, really stupid, but ends up mattering. Okay. Uh, there, General Carlos Prats, the guy that replaced the guy that got killed yeah, in yeah, the yeah. botch kidnapping. So he gets into a pretty stupid situation uh, called the Alejandrina Cox incident, named after a person, Alejandrina Cox. June 27th, 1973, he's in traffic, like in his car, and... He gets into an argument with someone in a nearby car. Okay. And just, you know, I guess they start flipping each other off or whatever. Anyway, he has his driver, like, give him his handgun and <gasps> he shoots into this car and the people get what out. And it turns out that the person that he thought he was arguing with was Alejandrina Cox, just this, like, kind of upper class woman, which in this pretty gendered society Makes it look like really bad, I guess, that he like yeah, shot at yeah. a woman, you know? I mean, it's or bad anyone. if you shot at anybody. <laughs> yeah. Uh, That's insane. People mob his car and they're yelling at him and they're slashing his tires and graffitiing his car. He has to be saved yeah. by like a passing taxi driver. Oh my God. Uh, and so he just like immediately goes to resign. And Allende mm -hmm. refuses because he's like a loyal, He's he's a loyal general. He's a constitutionalist. Uh, he's usually pretty good at his job. Um, I don't know, man. I'd maybe let that one go. <laughs> could have been a good idea, yeah. Um, but yeah. this event makes him look like basically a complete loser. No, I mean, I would have let him go. I'd be like, oh, you did shoot a guy. Like, you yeah, did shoot yeah, somebody no, in the street. I agree with you. <laughs> okay, cool. Just making sure we're clear on that. Don't shoot people in the street for having a street argument. That's not very cool. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so a couple months later, he ends up resigning when the wives of his officers protest in front of his home. Ooh. He's like basically lost all respect by that point. He's like, I'm out. And I, I think this this incident kind of pushes that along to where he ends up resigning. Uh, and his resignation is super important because he's replaced as commander in chief of the army by one Augusto Pinochet. Uh-oh, I've heard that name, and it's not a good one. It is not a good one. At the time, he was a trusted general. He was assumed to be a constitutionalist. He was not. <laughs> not in his heart. Yeah. Uh, so that's like a, a seemingly stupid side story, but... <laughs> wow, that sucks. Yeah. Road rage. It's not where it's at. That's what I was going to say, yeah. Keep it together, guys. <laughs> uh, by June the next year... Things had only gotten worse in terms of the economy, politically, overall. 
And the military by this point was fed up. Uh, they felt for one that they were underfunded, even though like they had been seeing their funding steadily increase under Frey before Allende and during Allende's presidency. They still weren't like lavishly paid or whatever is what they wanted to be lavishly paid. But they were like, it was not like a, a swanky gig or anything. You know, they mm-hmm. felt they should be paid more. Uh, lots of them also wanted to see the military take an active role in Chilean politics. You have the constitutionalists, Ooh. but you also have other people who, you know, obviously don't agree with that. They think the military should like have some sort of maybe a say in Congress or like a um, branch that they run and stuff in government. Like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. All around, they were also seeing militaries uh, take power in different countries, in Brazil, in Argentina, in Peru, in Bolivia, just in that past decade, had taken power in coups. Did we do any of those? Oh, yeah. Uh, like All okay. of those were U.S. backed. <laughs> Whoops. All of them were led by officers also who had been trained at the U.S. School of the Americas. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds like us. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does have our name on it. Uh, yeah. We did that one. Again, listen to the Operation Condor episode for more info. But yeah, they're kind of looking around saying, hey, maybe it's our time to shine. Maybe we're going to be the ones to step up and save Chile from the oh, communist God. menace. So on June 29th, 1973, Colonel Roberto Super, along with uh, some officers in that fascist group we mentioned, Patria Libertad, they launch a coup. Great. Uh, it's called the Tancatazo. Translation is like the tank putsch, like the tank coup. And they attack the presidential palace, La Moneda, with tanks. Well, fuck. <laughs> well, it fails. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> uh, mainly because uh, at this time, the commander in chief of the army is still Pratt's. So mm. this is before he ends up resigning. Okay. Before he sh- it's like a couple shoots months somebody. before that. Yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, it's like a couple days after he shot somebody, but before he resigned. <laughs> Right. He's still thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> he remains loyal, of course, and he's able to go out there and kind of quell the rebellious units, just says, kind of orders them to stand down, you know, and there's... Yeah, he's like, hey, guys, come on, you look stupid. Right, yeah, and it's, I think maybe it's hard to pull that off if you don't have, like, most or all of the army on board. If if it ends up seeming like you're the odd man out, it's like, oh, shit. No, oh, so. man, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. The downside to... Even, you know, I guess the coup, it's good that it got crushed, but it ends up being sort of a dress rehearsal. Uh, It ends up allowing kind of future conspirators to learn about how the government was going to react to kind of get better prepared for the real deal. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It also is kind of bloody. 22 civilians are killed during it. Oof. Yeah. Not great. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is where we get down to the, to the real deal. The real bullshit. Mm. Uh, the remember, Congress has flipped. Congress is now right wing. Those code guys. Uh, August twenty second, they pass a resolution, totally dissing the Allende government. It's a burn book. What are they write? Yeah, they say you guys fucking suck. Um, <laughs> they accuse him of trying to set up a totalitarian socialist government. All right, let's review who's doing the coup. <laughs> <laughs> just want to point that one out yeah that's uh that's not me (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh they accuse him of violating the separation of powers breaching the constitution and they even call on the president of the republic 
which is him, so no. Mm-hmm. Uh, ministers of state and members of the armed and police forces <gasps> Uh-oh. to put an immediate end to these travesties. Um, no. What the... Okay, first off, he signed your stupid little document at the beginning being like, hey, I'm not going to, like, fuck it up. <laughs> right, like, and then it's like, military, please come help us. Yeah, what the fuck? I mean, that's... Yeah, that's basically what they do. And two days later, Allende responds publicly saying, uh, yeah, you guys... He accuses Congress of promoting a coup. Yeah, that's that's literally what they did. It's not an accusation. That's just what happened. Yeah, he just... He says... I heard that correctly, right? Everyone heard that. Every, yeah, <laughs> we're all listening right now. Did yeah. you hear that? He he also kind of does a little bit of whining. I don't know if this is just him being kind of like. I'd be pretty mad, man. Well, yeah, but he's he's a little technical about it, which is to me kind of a like annoying. Like I get being upset about it, but here's what he says: He says the declaration also did not get a two thirds majority required to accuse the president. <laughs> You're not even allowed to talk shit about me. Right. Yeah. You didn't even follow the rules to do this, to call for a coup. I think it's funny. And like, if they're going to be also constitutional obsessed, mm, like it's it's a little bit of a burn. Yeah. To be like, oh, it's a, it's I'm breaking nerdy. the constitution. Well, you guys didn't even follow it. Yeah. That makes sense. Also, you're calling for a coup, which seems like maybe <laughs> it doesn't follow the constitution so much. Yeah. <laughs> so early September in 1973, this is going down. Ayenda's like hey maybe I'd, let's have a vote let's just like do a, a plebiscite a referendum <laughs> sorry Everybody we're votes. gonna vote on whether or not we do a coup well if he should stay in power or okay, should he but resign basically yes that's okay that's a lib ass response but sure okay <laughs> yeah kind of i mean should we give in to the coup demanders or not <laughs> okay. and he was going to give a speech about his proposed solution to this you know let's have a vote on September 11th, 1973, but that is the date of the coup, which we'll talk about next. <laughs> um, by the way, in case you're wondering, what's the CIA doing? What's America doing about this? Like, people keep coming to them from the military, their informants, telling them, we're about to do a coup on this date. And they just, like, sit back. And they're like, cool, They just put it. it on their calendar. Yeah, we'll like, watch. All right, thanks. Thanks for telling me. <laughs> Let me know if you need anything. They get told multiple times. They ride it up the chain of command. That's what they do. <laughs> wow. The coup. 7 a.m. September 11th, 1973. Too early for a stop. I'm not going. <laughs> you're you're just, you're cooed while in bed. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah, no to all you fascists out there looking for tips on your future coup against our people's commune. <laughs> Hit us early. If you want me to show up, make sure it's at least past eight. Come on. <laughs> 7 a.m., the Navy captures the important port city of Valparaiso. They close down radio and TV networks. Allende is informed and he moves to La Moneda, the, the presidential palace, uh, with his Cuban-trained bodyguards. They are very cutely called the group of personal friends. Oh, that's adorable. I love them. <laughs> <laughs> These are my personal friends. They're the very strong. The de amigos personales. Um, oh. So the gap. 8 a.m. rolls around. The army, by this point, has closed most radio and TV stations in the capital of Santiago. The Air Force has bombed the rest. And at this point, Allende thought that it's, he still thinks it's only like a section of the Navy that is trying to coup him, not the whole military. He's kind of misinformed. For one, the head of the Navy, um, Admiral Montero, was a loyalist to Allende. 
So he's like, the whole Navy shouldn't be after me. I know that Yeah, guy. yeah. I got my butt in there. But that guy's cars and phone lines had been sabotaged before the coup to keep him out of the loop. Uh-oh. For another, he thought that the, his head of the army, Augusto Pinochet, was loyal as well. Keeps trying to call him. <laughs> hey, man, uh, seeing some bad shit out here. <laughs> yeah. He figures maybe this guy has been captured by the coup leaders because he's not able to answer his phone, but he's just like watching it ring. He doesn't give a shit. Oh, no. Leaving him on red. Oh. And yeah, so that's the situation at that point. 8.30 a.m., the illusion is dispelled. The military declares that Allende is deposed and the military is in control. And Allende is shocked Pikachu face. He realizes it's not just him versus a little rogue Navy uh, fleet. It's the whole military. Betrayal. Yes. Et to Pinochet. And, uh, yeah, right. He refuses to resign. The military says, dude, you got to resign or we're going to bomb the palace. And he says, no, I'm not going to resign. <gasps> so 9 a.m. rolls around the National Police, the Carabineros. Uh, they leave the National Palace to go join the military crew, basically. <gasps> They're just like, no. see y'all, we're out. <laughs> okay, great. Cool. Uh, yeah, gotta love cops. Yeah, um, always good, huh? <laughs> Uh, Allende refuses to leave the palace. His uh, Cuban advisors there and some of his cabinet members are like, let's try to escape to the industrial zone. You know, you have supporters there. We can start like a, a insurgency or a counter coup, something, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's like, no, I'm standing my ground. Uh, the military is again trying to get him to step down. He refuses and instead gives a very famous farewell speech. This is very good. He condemns the coup. These are a bunch of traitors. Uh, he condemns foreign capital and imperialism for Hell their yeah. role in what's going on. Uh, he thanks the Chilean people and encourages them to defend themselves in the days to come. Got a little quote from that that is like the kind of the last paragraph of it, which I think is powerful. Workers of my country, I have faith in Chile and its destiny. Other men will overcome this dark and bitter moment when treason seeks to prevail. Go forward knowing that, sooner rather than later, the great avenues will open again, and free men will walk through them to construct a better society. Long live Chile, long live the people, long live the workers. These are my last words, and I am certain that my sacrifice will not be in vain. I am certain that, at the very least, it will be a moral lesson that will punish felony, cowardice, and treason. Damn, that's a banger of a speech, dude. Yeah, he gives that on his like last radio broadcast from the palace. At this point, General Pinochet orders tanks and troops to advance on the palace. They get fired on by the group of personal friends, snipers on the roof. A helicopter comes in for close air support, and soon the Air Force bombers are doing their thing, too. Fuck. Palace defenders don't surrender until nearly 2.30 p.m. Uh, the... Uh, President of Chile, Salvador Allende, uh, committed suicide during the battle. Oh. Um, there was, for a long time, kind of dispute. Um, supporters of Allende claimed that he was murdered. Uh, they later did multiple examinations and forensics and stuff, and it does appear, it does seem by the evidence that he did commit suicide uh, with a, an AK-47. Well, can't really blame him. Yeah. Pretty bad day. Yeah, and based on what happens after, probably the Oof. best way to go. 
Oh, yeah. Um, 60 people are killed in the coup itself, and then the bloodbath really starts. After the coup, you have mass arrests of real or suspected leftists immediately following. Uh, you, you have some 40,000 people um, arrested and held in Chile's national stadium. Holy shit. Okay. This can't end well. I'm getting some real handmade Tale vibes from this. <laughs> do they do that in Handmaid's Tale? They do. They round them up and send them to a stadium at the very beginning when they capture all the women. Ah, well, uh, maybe it's inspired by this. Maybe. Or I don't know when that was an old book or something, wasn't it? Um, yeah, she wrote it in, I want to say either the 70s, probably 80s. A lot of the references feel very 80s, at least. Okay, well, then it may have been inspired by this then. Maybe. Uh, there are over 80 different in, uh, detention centers in Santiago alone. Tons of imprisonment, torture, executions. Uh, in three years, the government had arrested around 130,000 suspected dissidents, um, and thousands of people were disappeared. Okay. Yeah. Another event that happens around this time is the Caravan of Death. Okay, what? That doesn't sound great, but w what is it? Caravan of Death was a Chilean army death squad. Uh, they flew around by helicopter up and down the country from September 30th to October 22nd. 1973, uh, executing people that were held in army custody. Fuck. Okay. Why? Gruesome shit. Uh, anyone suspected of uh, anyone like that was on their lists of being communists or anyone like that, that they had got and they wanted done with, they tortured and executed 97 people. Jesus uh, just, Christ. Just to wipe them off the lists. Um, some Jesus. of the people even were not suspected leftists. They were former like army generals and shit who got in trouble for being too lenient oh fuck yeah so it's uh terrible stuff to get the details of it but it's really bad uh you also had in general uh the establishment of a right-wing military dictatorship i'm gonna guess it didn't you know not a great one not a great system of government no it's pretty bad if you um aren't a fan of mass political repression uh, the suspension of the Constitution and Congress, uh, the abolition of political parties altogether, uh, dissenting newspapers and radio silenced, uh, a, a, an imposed curfew. If you don't like those things happening don't. For, under one leader for more than a decade, then you're not a big fan of this. I'm, yeah, consider me not a fan. That sucks. Yep. Uh, initially, it's like a military junta with Pinochet at the head of what will be a rotating thing, but they'd never do the rotation. Pinochet kind of more or less consolidates power, and the rest of them are like, yeah, you're good. You do it. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, yeah. Intense. If you're wondering, wow, this seems like it goes against all of America's like stated political values. Surely they can't be helping these guys by this point. They must have realized the error of their ways. Uh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no. I'm going to guess no. Yeah. The U.S. was helping the military dictatorship from day one. They quickly recognized the new government as legitimate. Of course. Uh, the CIA actively supports Pinochet's dictatorship. Uh, they make many of his top officers paid CIA or military contacts. <gasps> Fuck. Uh, including his head of secret police. Uh, that secret police organization is uh, acronym is DINA. Uh, mm -hmm. That head of mil uh, secret police is Manuel Contreras. 
Mm. He was a okay, major figure. Name. Yeah, he was a major figure in the in the uh, Operation Condor episode. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was on CIA payroll. Fuck. Yeah. Cool country. So some yeah, just a little bit Love more about what they what they did. I mean, it didn't seem like a good start. <laughs> it continued but to be But then they bad. really turned it around. <laughs> yeah, well, a couple years in, they really they hit the gas pedal on something called neoliberalism. Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that one's a bad one. This is in 1975. Before Reagan, before Thatcher, you have Pinochet. <laughs> Inspo. Yeah. <laughs> That's their man crush Monday. <laughs> That's what Thatcher would post. <laughs> Pinochet brought in a group of Chilean economists called the Chicago Boys, who had been educated at the University of Chicago. Not all of them, but there was also this uh, economic school of thought called the Chicago School, which is like Milton Friedman and a very hyper free market ideology. Obviously, this was not out of nowhere. Uh, these guys didn't, you know, just appear one day. Hey, we're the Chicago boys. We all thought it'd be fun to take a trip to Chile. Yeah. These guys <laughs> were part of a training program called the Chile Project, organized in the 1950s by the State Department. Funded by the Ford Foundation and the Rockefeller Foundation. <laughs> uh, this was part of the State Department's overall like development program, which was mm. really aiming to you know develop in a certain direction in an effort to compete with the Soviet Union, basically. They set up scholarships with Chile's Catholic University to get these guys to go to University of Chicago and, and other places to learn how to do free market economics. Oh, good. Just what we want. It really didn't end up mattering so much while Allende and the left were in power slash alive. Uh, but afterward, when they're gone and Pinochet's like, in charge, hey <laughs> yeah, their ideas become the basis of Pinochet's economic policy. One phrase of Pinochet's was make Chile not a nation of proletarians, but a nation of proprietors. Oh, who's like, yeah, that sounds good. I want to be a proprietor. Yeah. Absolutely. Gross. Um, that's like, to simply put, I mean, they want to privatize everything. Healthcare, education, whatever it is. The only thing they aren't about privatizing, actually, and Chile this day doesn't, is the state-owned um, copper mines. They actually kept that. Really? I think it was too that's good of a deal for them, like, money-wise, like, tax-wise. So they had to like do keep doing that to fund anything they wanted to do. Um, but other than that, it's privatize, it's deregulate, it's like more capitalism, more quote unquote free markets, less social services, slash that shit as much as you can, slash wages, attract foreign, you know, investors, slash exploiters. Anyone who resists, stomp them back into line, reverse land reform even, they give back some of the expropriated stuff to large landowners that's what they start doing well listeners if any of this sounds familiar then all i have to say to you is welcome to america <laughs> that's that's what we did yeah <laughs> we did it to us and to everyone mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah obviously this widened inequality deepened poverty 45 percent poverty rates while the wealthiest 10% see their income increase by, uh, by like 83%. Jesus Christ. Overall, terrible for the workers, good for the generals. Mm -hmm. you know, terrible for the farmers, good for the bankers. 
shitty stuff for Chile. <sighs> Pretty good deal for like the World Bank, the IMF, the United States, Global Capital. Those guys pretty good they loved it yeah and i'm sure too like the military that was in charge of this like also benefited greatly because of like the military industrial complex oh yeah those guys were raking it in (laughs) they were in charge of society now they were writing you know they were just doing the legislation they weren't passing it through at congress they were congress and they were just saying yeah i think we'll take more money (laughs) (laughs) jesus christ yeah okay that's pretty rough yeah, there were still some elements of peaceful resistance. There was also armed resistance throughout the existence of the military dictatorship. It's not really in the scope of our episode, but just to kind of mention it here at the end, there were resistance groups like uh, the Revolutionary Left Movement, uh, the Manuel Rodriguez Patriotic Front, uh, and the Lautaro Youth Movement. Uh, these were all like armed resistance groups carrying on a guerrilla campaign. Uh, against Pinochet, they had the support of, like the clandestine support of the Soviet Union, Cuba, East Germany, North Korea, and others. These groups continue all that and everything. It's it's kind of like a like a guerrilla campaign, you know. Uh, they are eventually demobilized in 1990 uh, when Chile transitions to democracy uh, after a 1988 referendum that ends Pinochet's chances of, of continuing the dictatorship. There's a referendum, basically, do I get to be dictator for life, <laughs> kind of, or not? Okay. He lost. How did he even get to the point of asking that? I'm shocked that he asked. So they had set up a new constitution in 1980, uh, where Pinochet would still be the executive, still be in charge, and... It would be for eight years, and then at that point, they, they would come up with the junta would come up with a, a candidate for the next set of eight years, and then that person would be ratified by voters in this in this vote. They basically just kind of rigged the initial constitution vote. <laughs> cool. Uh, but there was such pressure uh, from dissenting groups within Chile, but also the international community and. To be honest, like the international business community, too, saw an opportunity (laughs) to kind of make some money by getting this guy out of there, too. Probably not a conscience thing. Probably just like, oh, we can just, you know, we can start rigging this a different way. But that election is, you know, that ratification one where Pinochet was going to be the new candidate or not for another eight years. That's the one where he got rejected. Okay. Okay. And so... Uh, he continues in power for another year and a half, and then they hold presidential and parliamentary elections for a new some for someone else in 1990. And so that's the one he lost, and then ends up they start transitioning to democracy. It's an awkward period because the president, the uh, the uh, military, still has some power. Yeah, I was gonna say like how you say democracy is this democracy with air quotes or for a while definitely so. Uh, the transition okay. is is like pretty rocky, and there's kind of debate at, like debate about like. When, you know, when does that sort of transitional sort of thing even cut off? But they've, you know, since elected members of the Christian Democrat Party and members of the Socialist Party to office. So it seems like they have more of a, you know, I think that they have transitioned to democracy. Yeah, it's functioning a little more. It it was under like a pretty neoliberal kind of consensus sort of thing. Nothing like the old Allende days, basically. But yeah, that's um, the Chilean coup of 1973 and its aftermath. 
Wow. Um, that was a bummer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm most struck by how this guy wasn't like that crazy or like super communist radical like you know yeah like it was a clear continuation of where the country was going and to me it's like a kind of a vote against to not to make a a voting joke here within the joke but (laughs) it's a vote against reformism because it's like even if you you know you get the guy elected and he's he's doing the dang thing Mm -hmm. you know someone can just take him out (laughs) yeah yeah they can Pull all the stops and make sure the CIA guys get in there. Make sure his favorite general goes missing slash gets murdered. Replaces him with a fake friend. And then the other one shoots a lady in the street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Then you got a a lady shooter in between. That's, yeah, I I agree with that take. Like, he he still gets cooed. He's trying to do everything by the book, by the rules. He's calling the other side out for breaking the rules. <laughs> that was still kind of dorky. It doesn't matter, though. I mean, he gets he gets got. Yeah, I mean, we don't get too gruesome on this podcast ever. It's not really our game. But, I mean, I, I do want to underline that, like, from what I've read, Pinochet's rule is, like, it was really bad. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what were they called? Death caravans? If you got a death caravan, shit ain't going well. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And they were a major player in Operation Condor. They were Mm -hmm. violently suppressing, torturing, killing leftists all across. One of the presidents of Chile, Michelle Bachelet, served a couple terms as president of Chile in the past. Her father um, was killed by the Pinochet regime got arrested in the coup, like shortly after the coup gets tortured to death. She and her mother were detained by Dina, by the secret police. Um, and they were interrogated and tortured as well. So like, this is something that reverberates through like modern life in Chile. It's not that it is long ago, like 50 years ago, but like people lived through this. They're still around it's something that's still felt in modern Chilean politics. Yeah. I mean, if you're a, a literature fan, Isabella Allende was also someone who had to flee Chile under Pinochet as well. She mm. was apparently helping people get out and then she got in trouble for doing that. And so her name got on the wanted list. So she's like, I, I got to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just, I don't know, the the sheer like. I I don't want to characterize it as mustache twirling evil, but it kind of is, you know, of the CIA just being like, yeah, that's fine. Like, let's let's overthrow a guy who got elected and is doing like good things for his people because we want more money. Like, that's what it is, guys. We can't like there's no way to sugarcoat that. Yep, we want more money. We want more power. We want to dominate the world. We want to you know, build up a army of nations against the Soviet Union. I mean, that's what they're thinking at the time, kind of, you know? You know, you can pretend it's national security. You can pretend it's it's anti-communism in terms of, you know, we want freedom and democracy. <laughs> but, like, the guy got elected. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> yeah, and then your guy comes in and establishes a military dictatorship, and that's cool. 
I don't think you're pro-democracy. I think you just really hate when people get things. No, they're for the Confederation of Democracy. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Oh, that was such a lib move. <laughs> We're actually more for democracy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I loved uh, Allende's speech, too. That was really cool. Uh, I mean, bummer circumstances, obviously, but very... Uh, very impressive because if I were like surrounded by guys and like I was about to get my house bombed, I don't think I'd be like that eloquent. <laughs> yeah, that was a, a badass <laughs> stoic way to go. Yeah, pretty pretty badass for sure. Um, I'd just be like, oh man, I hope I don't shit myself. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I I find this topic super interesting, super dark, like you said, but. Mm-hmm. It's important to know this stuff because people will for real get out there and tell you like, you know, the people at the CIA are heroes and they deserve our respect. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Think of how much propaganda we watch on TV. Yeah. And and when, when you're seeing the, you know, the new action movie with the cool CIA agent doing the cool things, like, <laughs> that's not it. Like, this is what <laughs> they do. They set people up to be murdered. Yeah. Yeah. And they do it because they don't like when countries nationalize things. They don't like land reform. They don't like any things that cut out the American middlemen who are making a buttload of money off of them. Yeah, this is easily going to be one of the least favorite episodes for our CIA, FBI guys. <laughs> They're over there like, hey, you guys are being really cool. mean this time, y'all. <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> Both of them sound like Muppets. <laughs> It's, that's part of the job description. Um, mm-hmm. But like, it's like, okay, sh- sure. The CIA, the National Security Apparatus and stuff should be dismantled. Also, that maybe that's not enough. Like, obviously it's not enough. We don't just want to like have the United States minus the CIA. Like, that wouldn't be good either. But <laughs> Yeah, we need to do a few more things. Yeah, but it's like, that would that's one thing for sure is that we could have less of these like, obviously doing bad in the world <laughs> organizations. And the reason they can get away with that is because of the whole national security, like, quote unquote, threat and panic and all that stuff. It gives them huge leeway. And we saw that, you know, after 9-11, like, NSA got beefed up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They could do whatever the fuck they wanted. And you bet they're going to do that, like, for some shady fucking shit. Yep. Anytime they can. They're always looking for the next opportunity. I mean, they were looking for the next opportunity before 9-11 happened. It just oh, fell yeah, into sure. yeah, quote unquote. Maybe. And they like <laughs> kind of knew it could happen. Anyway, <laughs> we don't need to get down that rabbit hole, yeah. but you know. Yeah. Um yeah. Another thing I want to point out because it's still up on my screen because I love it so much. The cyber sin thing is super cool. Wish that had worked out because like we were literally talking about this maybe two episodes ago about how it's extremely hard to plan out an economy and like that just that that's hard to do. And so that would have been super cool. Yes. It's uh that's the alternate universe with the <laughs> all in utopia. our Star Trek civil chairs. Yeah, the um, oh. the meme with the what with the world if we had Project Cybersyn, <laughs> and it's just yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. So, listeners, we will be sharing this image probably just as the show art. Honestly, I don't feel like drawing tomorrow. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, hey, I will also show you my nails, which look great. I ended up going with a split down the middle, purple and blue combo. It was very ambitious. But I made it. Uh, cool. There, that's <laughs> that's neat. For some reason, I was thinking of the 
the emblem for the Unidad Popular front, which was, <laughs> but it's like blue and red. It's uh, not quite the no. same. But. No, that'd be too American for me. <laughs> no, I need it to be as or bisexual Chilean. as possible. Or Chilean. That's true. The fake Texas flag. I was about to say, yeah, we've all accidentally typed the Chile flag instead of the Texas flag. <laughs> Which I don't think they have a Texas flag as an emoji, do they? No, they That'd don't. Be wild. I never post, I wouldn't, well, I never had the impulse to send to someone a, a Texas, Texas flag. flag. So I'm, no, no, I'm not a real Texan, I guess, but. Uh, the most I would ever do is maybe the, the stupid grinning cowboy emoji. Oh, that's pretty emoji. Texan. Yeah, that's good. I like him. He's fun. <laughs> <laughs> He's got good energy. Okay. All right. Time to wrap it up. What are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to put on our combat boots. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We got to tell this story again. <laughs> I don't remember if I've cut it out of the previous ones. I think so. Okay. So let me tell the listeners. On our doc, we have a list of like upcoming episode ideas and then we, we scooch them over into like the schedule and one of Grady's suggestions was Mao's I read it as combat liberalism instead of combat liberalism <laughs> <laughs> so we've been making jokes for weeks now of like just gotta put on my my war paint and go vote <laughs> hey Mac the corn pops a real bad dude I'm gonna throw a grenade at him and by grenade, I mean a big ream of legislation. Oh, yeah. Heck yeah. Vote blue no matter who. <laughs> Vote till you die. Oh, it is. Uh, yes, yeah, the culmination of vote or die. Combat it really liberalism. is. Combat liberalism. Okay. <laughs> Let's put the correct emphasis on it so it is now um, a, a verb, not an adjective. Yeah. Um, combat liberalism. There we go. Thank you. Yeah, you just all caps that in the doc for me. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, all right. It's a cool little piece. It's it's pretty short. Uh, it's very now. short. We'll get back to you guys with that. Okay. Awesome. Thanks for keeping me company while I paint my nails. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> That's the real purpose of this podcast You know, now. it's similar to its origins of like just driving on trips and it's like, hey, what about this? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. That's what it is. All right. Well, I'll catch you next time. All right. Bye, dude. Bye. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube, if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.